Welcome back to the Song Capture Podcast. My name is Chris Clayton. So glad you're here to hang out with us. We are actually at episode number five. And as I always say, today's episode will not disappoint. But before we jump in today's show, let me encourage you to go over to our website, mysongcapture.com. That's mysongcapture.com. Song Capture is a demo production service that we make available to you, the worship songwriter, to help flush out your ideas more than just a work tape on your phone or a piece of paper with some lyrics on it. We help put it into a very tangible form. Maybe you're a worship writer who writes songs for other worship leaders or worship artists and bands, um, or maybe you're a worship pastor who writes for your church. We help put these songs into a tangible form so that you can lead them on a Sunday or on a weekend. So head on over to mysongcapture.com Use the promo code TAKE10, that's T-A-K-E, the number 10. Uh, That'll save you 10% off just for trying us out. We'd love to see how we can serve you. On today's show, we have my friend Matt Armstrong. Matt is a producer, songwriter here in Nashville, originally from Buffalo, New York. And we actually have an interesting story about how we met, which we'll get into a little bit. But we also talk about Matt's unique and humbling beginnings here in Nashville as a songwriter, as well as the journey that led him be a part of writing songs for Bethel Music, Jesus Culture, Passion, and Casting Crowns, just to name a few. But today we also unpack the story behind one of my favorite songs he's been a part of. That's At the Cross, Love Ran Red, written and led by Chris Tomlin. It's a pretty incredible story about a song that's gone all over the world. So here's my conversation with the one and only Matt Armstrong. Hey, Matt. How's it going, man? Good. How are you? I'm good. This is your first podcast ever. It is. This is it. (laughs) Welcome. I'm glad you're on on the Song Capture podcast for your very first one. Um, We have an interesting story how we met. I'm I'm going to start out with that. (laughs) So I think we ought to tell it. So um, I was thinking about this the other day. and you need to fill in the holes because it's been a really long time since this is all this is all taking place. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so you're originally from Buffalo, New York. Yes. Right. Born. Yes. Is that where you're born? Uh, I was. <laughs> believe it or not, I was actually born in Midland, Texas. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't even know that. My uh, my dad worked uh, for Shell Oil at the time. Okay. And um, but then he w- he was actually born and raised in Rome, New York, which is a small uh, city yeah. in uh, the central New York State. And uh, moved back to Buffalo. Okay, I, I was only there about a year, maybe even under a year. I was an infant, obviously, so right. I don't remember anything. Right, but uh, they moved back to Buffalo then, and so I—I I mean, basically raised in Buffalo. Gotcha. You know, so. gotcha. Well, I remember. So I, when I was working, and if for those that listened to episode one, I told my story a little bit there with, with Jesse Reeves. But um, when I was in Texas, this this was probably had to be. Let's see. We got married in 2001, and I started working for David shortly after there in 2002. So it's had to be been 2002, 2003, because- That sounds right. I'm guessing because of I remember the location of my desk at the studio, and that was in our first location. I know that's weird, but anyway, I remember- 2001 you, sounds right. Does that sound about right? Okay. Because I moved here in 03, I think. Okay, so this got to be in that in that window then of yeah. 01, 02 then. So I remember- It's all a blur. <laughs> part, exactly. Part of my role at Soundtown was studio manager, so I kind of handled administration and, and would um, get- um, I just look after the the general email box, if you will. And I remember getting an email one day from a guy from Buffalo, New York, <laughs> uh, saying, "Hey, I love your stuff. I'm familiar with David Parker from a conference he leads worship at. And um, do y'all do y'all need an intern?" <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, Matt, we never got those emails. Like no one ever asked to intern for us at Soundtown. So th- so I remember getting it and going. Well, this is new. I should guess a show, David, and <laughs> went to show David, and um, 
uh, Parker goes, well, he wants to move here from Buffalo, New York? And I was like, I think so. He goes, I don't know if we have anything for him to do. I said, we'll just tell him no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I would have so, told me no, too. <laughs> so little did I know, though, um, I didn't even, I mean, I didn't know you then. I mean, you were just some guy off the street that emailed us about it and from Buffalo. And um, I think you may have sent another email later on, maybe, and asking again later on. And I was like, bro, no, like we don't have <laughs> And then I remember, this was so weird. I remember all of a sudden seeing your name pop up on things. I was like, man, that name looks familiar. It's like Matt Armstrong with Ed Cash. I'm like, we passed on a guy that's hanging out with Ed Cash now. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, that was amazing. Like, uh I was a big David Parker fan because he used to come up to, uh, there was this season where he was actually leading at the yeah. youth group of my church. Oh, okay. And he would fly in every Wednesday. Gotcha. And then also there was that conference in New York, uh, Niagara. He, You guys were both yeah. there. And I, I think, I, you know, I, obviously I met you then. Right. Um, but I think that was prior, maybe even, I don't even remember the timeline of when I was sending those emails. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be around that time. But I, I remember. That. I remember. I mean, you said you used to follow David around at the, at the conference. Oh yeah, I was. I I loved the, his cut capo action yep. and the. I loved the band and like, and I was a huge fan of that first Shane and Shane record. Oh yeah, songs. And, yeah, um, you guys did that. We didn't did. You? Yeah. And so I mean, I, I was such a nerd back then. Like I, you know, I was the guy that would go to the bookstore and read the back of the records. Oh yeah. And like, just I still do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're hard to find. They're hard to find. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I just David Parker was on the back of that, and I was like, yeah. "Where is this place?" You know, and then I kind of put two and two together of, "Oh, he comes to my church." Yeah, know? and uh, but yeah, thanks for passing on me. Nah. <laughs> You're <laughs> you so crushed, welcome. You crushed my I crushed soul. your dreams, so you have a bigger one here. So um, I remember we did meet in Buffalo, but I think we officially kind of got like some. I got, our friendship began, I think, in 2014 when we were on the Centricity Retreat together. Yeah. I don't know if you remember going up to Win, Win, Winthrop. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. it was. And uh, that's the first time we got to really kind of hang out. And, we um, wrote King of Majesty We there, did <laughs> write that, yeah. Um, I remember that. I remember that. And we've written a couple since then. So, um, But Matt, if you don't know, guys, is a, a songwriter here in town, has written for a lot of people that I probably said on the intro of this whole thing um, with Centricity Music now yes. and um, just recently there. So yes. kind of a new venture there. Yes. Um, so today I really kind of wanted to dive into the song Love Ran Red at the Cross. Um, if if you're any anywhere of a worship pastor in any church, you probably have heard this song, if not led it. And uh, Matt has shared this story a couple of times that I've heard in various settings in um, so we're going to talk about that. I have a few other questions mm-hmm. I just want to kind of get into your brain about and just about the nuts and bolts of songwriting and things like that. But tell me a little bit about you, how you kind of got into the journey of songwriting um, from the days of Buffalo, New York to oh. moving to Nashville. Oh, man. I mean, it's a, that's, a, that's a long story. That's but, fine. Uh, it, you know, like when I, growing up in, in Buffalo, um, I was going to say like we had a, a youth room attached kind of like this building is we're in here yeah. where it's detached from the church um but it's kind of where the youth group would meet yeah. and it was like this old house uh that actually a student of frank lloyd wright had oh wow designed and built um and so it's kind of a weird quirky house but um you know at the time probably middle school i was just a giant fan of i think my first christian record was uh going public by the news oh, yeah. way back in the day and my youth pastor just was really pouring that 
music into me because at the time I was playing like Pearl Jam, I was playing like you know Better Man and stuff. I knew the core, the power chords, you know. Uh, but then when I was introduced to Christian music, uh, I think it kind of just blew my mind because it was ministry, but it was also like these are cool songs, you know. Yeah, and. Uh, that kind of progressed to an obsession with jars of clay, where every anything Dan Hasseltine, oh yeah, Hasseltine, how do you, I don't know how to I think it's Hasseltine. Hasseltine would uh, would talk about or sing about, yeah. like I was just in love with. So, you know, started a band with some dear friends in high school uh, with the, the terrible choice of name and Tears of Joy, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and. Uh, we <laughs> did you trademark that? <laughs> <laughs> no, we still have a website up. That's awesome. Uh, which is kind of hilarious. I, I will not Give tell the, the URL. We're all going to Google it now, anyway. So. <laughs> but um, but it was an outlet for me to write songs, even though I didn't really know. You know, there was such a thing as a craft of like you can get paid to write songs. Yeah. I always thought, well, you have to be an artist or a singer to like to to write, and so. My only option, because I don't have the greatest voice in the world, I can have enough to write. I can sing enough to write yeah. and to be in rooms, but and to share my ideas. But I wasn't the guy. I'm not going to go on tour anytime right. soon, you know. Yeah. And so uh, I surrounded myself with people that I knew were capable and could sing. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of how that whole phase of writing. And I would kind of give the songs to the guys and we would make them our own and practice till we're blue in the face and still were really terrible. Yeah. Uh, but we had a great time. Yeah. And it was just some of the uh, most uh, treasured ex- times of my life were mm-hmm. those those days of playing youth rallies and coffee houses and, you know, fun runs. <laughs> <laughs> Done them all too, bro. Yeah, yep. my backyard, yes. wherever we could play, yep. you know. And so um, it was just a great experience. And But that's really what kind of started instilling songwriting into me and kind of taught me about, like, what the record process was. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I would start to see multiple names on songs, and I would think, well, what... What did this guy do? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, which ultimately led me to go to school for recording engineering, <clears throat> which I thought was like a back way in to music. Like my ultimate goal was to be a songwriter for in a band because I thought that that's what songwriting was. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize that you could write with anybody and a mm-hmm. lot of people. Yeah, um, but uh, the funny thing about school for me is I went to Full Sail which are recording engineering school, mm-hmm. but I knew nothing about engineering and I was like absolutely horrible at it. Like I hated it. Yeah. Uh, but now I've grown to love it and I'm passionate about it, which is ironic. Right. Because to me, it's a tool to express uh, what I'm writing about. Sure. You know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know if I'm leading you down a rabbit trail. No, you're good. So you went to full sale though. So I went to full yeah. sale. And then I went home and worked construction a bit. And then I found a recording studio called Dark Horse Recording yep. here in uh, Franklin. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was kind of the ultimate, like, oh, man, I'm going to be out in the middle of nowhere just hanging out with all these creatives and, you know, working in the studio, which I found out later was really just driving to Costco <laughs> and cleaning toilets <laughs> yes. and, and sleeping on the floor because I was a living intern there. And so gotcha. I would literally... Every night, pull the drum baffles down, those fo- big yeah. foam baffles, and uh, I would sleep on them. Wow. 
and then I'd set them back up and uh, shower in their shower and squeegee it out, and then I'd pull. <laughs> I'd pull my clean clothes from the clean clothes hamper in my trunk of my car. Oh my god! And I'd put the dirty clothes in the dirty clothes hamper. And once a week, I would go down to the King Neptune laundromat yep. on Columbia mm-hmm. and do my laundry. Uh, but that I did that for about ten months. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, I was kind of a. Looking back on it, I'm like, what an idiot! <laughs> what, what in the world was I thinking? Uh, but you know, I met a lot of great people. And I think ultimately, you know, some of those people are still dear friends today. Yeah. Uh, in fact, one of my neighbors is uh, was an intern with me. Oh wow! So it's just we we reminisce a lot. I'm sure that's awesome. But from there, I worked at Starbucks for a while. I worked at maintenance at my church for a while, um, and then kind of through that, and through somebody that I had met from Dark Horse, uh, I was uh, introduced. To Ed Cash, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I was a huge Ed fan because I was a giant Bebo Norman fan. Oh yeah, like I yeah. I I studied Bebo when I was in college. Like I loved all the songs. I was always trying to decipher the meaning of his you know sappy folk songs. Yep, you know, yep. and uh, and Ed was the man behind all those songs. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I knew he had worked on a lot of Chris Tomlin stuff, but Chris Tomlin to me was like low on the totem pole <laughs> of, Ed, of Ed Arnold. Yeah, like, yeah. He's I mean, done a lot. Bebo, he did uh, Cademan's Call. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a couple Cademan's Call records, Bebo, Dave Barnes. Like, yeah. I mean, I was just a, a giant fan. And so I remember <clears throat> he asked me to come do an interview because I had heard his assistant quit. Had not, I don't know if he'd not quit, but he mm-hmm. he moved on. And, yeah. Uh, he's a, I love Steven. He's a great guy but ed um i remember going ed was like if you need help through the season i emailed him if you need help through the season while your assistant's gone i could come help you and uh ed asked me to come out and kind of interview with him and i was nervous as all get out you know because this is guys like one of my heroes um and I showed up at the studio, and he comes in for the interview with his son, and he's he's got like the shortest gym shorts on. <laughs> he's got these like short, short gym shorts on, and he's got a he probably doesn't even remember this, and maybe I shouldn't be sharing this, <laughs> but he had on a shirt that said "Daddy loves me," and it looked like one of his kids had painted it, and it was like all ripped down the back. I love it, and he, it was like so non-professional yeah but but professional right you know what i mean yeah and i had never experienced anything like that and all i could think was man i want to I, I need to be in on this yeah lifestyle. for real i need to be in on this <laughs> because like at heart i i really think at heart i'm 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 a country backwoods boy that just grew up in three feet of snow yeah, you yeah. know what i mean and so ed ed was everything that i just loved about life and songs That's and awesome. creativity and and he grew to be a great mentor to me That's over great. the years but he gave me the job and he gave me a chance and um and then over time you know started to really help me like flourish as a writer mm-hmm. and uh and understand what the whole songwriting thing was. Yeah, you know, what was the biggest thing you that you walk away going? That's what that's that changed my my trajectory as a songwriter from him. Well, so at the time I was just working as an assistant, and again I was doing a lot of like stuff assistants do. Yeah. I, I was comping vocals and setting up mics and sessions, and you know, 
running to Costco again. I always find myself at Costco. <laughs> I've never bought anything there for myself, but <laughs> buy a lot of I've bought a lot of things for other people. That's there. funny. Um, cleaning and you know picking up people, Chris Tomlin from the airport, right. or you know um, picking up lunch. Yeah. Like, but it was great. I mean, he he paid me really well. He yeah. treated me really well. It, it was a really great experience. Just for the sheer people I met. But anyways, he didn't even know I wrote songs. And to be honest, there was a season there where I kind of gave up on it mm. because uh, I didn't think, I didn't understand how I could do be a songwriter outside of being an artist, you know, yeah, um, or produce. And I didn't really think I was that great at it. But a lot of it stemmed from insecurity in myself and yeah. honestly a lot of confidence issues that I was dealing with sure. just living in Nashville yeah. and the sheer amount of talent there is here. Yep. Um, but I remember he was talking about how he was going to start this record with this girl, Carrie Job, and, and Carrie, we went to some pool party for us. It was like a pool thing for us. There's kids were at the pool and we were driving in his truck and he was playing me the song. He played me revelation song and I had oh, never wow. heard it and Carrie was singing it. Yeah. And I remember him talking about like, I don't know what mic to use to capture her vocal. Cause it, she's got an interesting characteristic yeah. Yeah. to her voice. And, um, and then Carrie started coming and they started writing and I was kind of in the room hanging out, just comping vocals and stuff for a lot of those co-writes. And I remember Carrie started asking me questions about songs. She was like, what do you think of this part? Or what, do you think this lyric is good? Or do you think this bridge is good? And, and she probably doesn't remember this again, yeah. but to me as a you know kid, 24 yeah. or 25, 26, um, I was like, wow, she's asking me about songs, you know, like, and I think that the Lord started really working on my heart because of that. Like he started going like, you were made to do this. You're made to be a songwriter. Yeah. That's why I brought you here. You know, that's why all these years, you know, you've been passionate about writing and trying to figure out how to write in a world where you think you can't perform. Um, and so I would go home and start writing these songs and, uh, and I had a, a buddy come and sing some demos for me. And um, I had this disc of like five songs. And uh, I gave it to Ed one day very nervously as I was leaving. I was like, here's this, these are some of my songs. <laughs> you know? yeah. And like I left it on the console for him at the studio. And a couple of weeks went by, maybe even a month. And uh, I always remember it vividly. And this, this was the moment that really changed a lot for me. I was in the drum room, and I he had a little separate rig in there, and I had my headphones on, and I was working on comping something. And he comes in the drum room door, like, all excitingly, and is like, where in the world have these songs been? Like, wow. how, how come you haven't showed me these songs? Like, I didn't know you could write songs. Like, just completely shocked. And, in, and I had already been there about three years at the time. Um, but again, just confidence issues, and yeah. I was nervous. Um, but Ed, over the course of you know four years, I think almost every one of those songs got cut. Oh wow! Uh, my first cut was with Casting Crowns, okay. and it was one of the songs that were, I showed him. Wow! And then Chris Tomlin cut one called Countless Wonders. Yeah, and then Aaron Shoes cut one. Maybe that's it. Three out of the five. Hey, that's not bad, that's though. Good, that's, that's pretty, pretty good, good track that's record. That's pretty good. <laughs> but, but it changed everything for me because then Ed started going, what if we did like a publishing deal together, which eventually led to a co-pub deal between Brentwood Benson and Ed, which is really, you know, what 
why I'm still eight, eight years later and yeah. still doing it. So. Amazing. Wow. I had no, I mean, we've known yeah. each other for a while. I didn't know half of that <laughs> stuff. So that's amazing. But yeah. Um, so let's, I love to get into just the story of Love, Love Ran Red. Um, like I said, I, you've, I've heard bits and pieces of that story. And, um, but, Tell me, I mean, I was reading on your website, which, uh, guys, you should go check out MattArmstrongSongs.com for just a little more about Matt and all he's written for. But on that, on your bio, that was your first number one? Yes. So that was 2015, and this song was your first number one. So let's just put in perspective, when was your first cut? When did Casting Crowns cut that song? Do you remember? It was uh, 09. So what is that, seven, six, five, six years between the first cut and a number one? So. It's a lot of years to keep writing and probably a lot of songs written. Yeah, so for sure. just showing the perspective of it takes a lot of songs. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And you know, we don't sit in the rooms as songwriters guys going, let's write a number one song today. Our song is just, our, our, as we've said before on the podcast, our job is to sit with the artist and you know, to serve them as best as possible for their right. project. And things like number ones and platinum and gold things, that's just all icing on the cake. But that's a reward of hard work. So tell me about how that how that idea came about. Because if, if I remember right, that kind of started with an idea from you and kind of made it a journey with other songwriters. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that <clears throat> the story of that song is kind of crazy. The honest truth is like, in all the time that I was working for Ed, I, it never, I never thought like, oh, I'm going to have a Chris Tomlin cut. Like, right. I always knew Chris. Yeah. And uh, we had a lot of great experiences just I had a lot of great experiences just helping work on like Hello Love. Yep. And uh that was the one memory I had the most of just getting to know Chris and <clears throat> we just had some amazing God experiences during that during that record and but I never thought uh, I never thought, oh I'm gonna have like a big Chris Tomlin song. Mm-hmm. Like I never thought that. And I don't I don't know why. Um but you know, I was actually just kind of writing again, just some alone time writing songs. And um, I was in my publishing deal with Brentwood Benson at the time and Ed. And um, I was just at home, you know, one night and just writing this song at the, you know, the foot of the cross, it was called mm-hmm. first. And um, I was singing that melody in like falsetto, playing in the key of C. And yeah. I, I was just like kind of in my brain, just writing. Uh, and it was like, at the foot of the cross, I surrender my all. And that's all I had. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember kind of thinking over and over, and eventually it became like a chorus, but it had some gaps in it. Yeah. Love Ran Red wasn't in the song yeah. at that time. Uh, and it didn't hit the two minor thing. Um, and But the whole first verse was there. Mm-hmm. Um there's a place where we're gonna see rain and never dies. That was all there. All right. I had kind of done that on my own. And I remember I was supposed to write, Ed and I were supposed to write with Francesca Battistelli, mm-hmm. and um, Francesca uh, canceled because she had one of her kids was sick, mm-hmm. and um, which is totally cool. But I was already at Ed's, and and then I just thought, I think maybe I had showed it to him before, but maybe he didn't remember it or something. But, yeah. Uh, he's a busy guy, but we got together. But anyway, I was like, well, Francesca canceled. So maybe I'll just show him this thing again. And I remember showing it to him and he was like, Oh, that's so good. Wow. And uh, we ended up kind of doing some tweaks and we did, but everything was there. Basically we wrote a, we wrote it all out and to, 
you know, added, added that kind of two minor thing and tweaked a couple things. And then it sat again for a while. Uh, and Lover and Red again wasn't in the song. And I remember one day Ed was driving to North Carolina and he, I don't know, maybe he was driving or not, but he, him and I were texting back and forth. Uh, and he was like, hey, I'm going to be with Michael W. Smith on Monday or something and Chris Tomlin on Tuesday or maybe the other way around. Yeah. I can't remember. He's like, but I'd love to show him this song, this idea. Um, and <laughs> I was like, okay. He's like, but we have to finish the chorus. And so I remember I spent like, I was just kind of wandering around my house, you know, singing it over and over again. And I was like, will your love ran red and my sin washed white. And I wrote it down real quick. And it was one of those things I thought sounded really cool. And then I started thinking about it, and I was like, wow, that's actually really um, the- theologically rich. Yeah, you know? it is, yeah. At the cross, at the cross, I Anyway, he ended up showing, I texted that to Ed, and Ed was like, man, he's like, that is brilliant. I, I wonder if it might be a little heady, but it's so brilliant. Uh, let, let's just see, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously Chris loved it. Yeah. Matt Redman said it was the, the gospel in three words. That's amazing. And That's a huge compliment. <laughs> That's a songwriter. Yeah. And it ended up being the title of his record. Um, but it was a long process of that song actually coming to fruition. Like that song actually took about three months Yeah, be- between the time it started and it ended. So who else on that song with you? So <clears throat> me, Chris and Ed finished the song. Um, Chris wrote the second verse and he tweaked the foot of the cross to at the cross, at the cross yeah. and kind of, I think he did one other little tweak. Yeah. Um, and then he was on like a trip in the UK writing with Matt Redman and Jonas Myron, and he showed them the song, and they ended up writing a bridge. And, you know, at first I was like, really? Because it kind of already had a bridge, Mm. Um, but it was this kind of soaring thing. I don't know if it was quite right. Um, But then when Ed and I heard the bridge, we were like, yeah, that's the bridge. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's just so powerful. Yeah, yeah. um, And so grateful for that. And, you know, the song ended up, uh, so the song ended up with five writers. Is that okay, right? yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Me and numbers don't go well. <laughs> <laughs> well. Let me ask you about. Let me ask you about that real quick. Then, so um, what? What is? So there's a lot. So you know, while there's while there's rules in songwriting, we often break the rules as song. You know, as songwriters, that actually helps songs become better when you break songwriting rules. But there is etiquette too, in terms of how songwriters interact with one another. Right. Um, you know, through all your experiences, maybe even this song, other songs, you know, there's been times even when I've written songs where you may write a song and you think it's done, but then other songwriters come in on it later on. What's the etiquette for that usually? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just think uh, openness is the best policy, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, in that sense, in that case, it was like, Ed and I, I think we both knew that like the bridge there could be a different bridge, you yeah. know? And, um, you know, 
what ended up happening with that was perfectly uh, legitimate and great, yeah. you know, to have Matt and Jonas on it. Um, and I just think that kind of just that open spirit just helps. And especially with that song, it just felt like a community. You know, that's the thing about worship, I think, is that what makes it so beautiful is that it is, it's not about you. Right. You know, like, about, exactly. Yeah. I've never felt ownership of At the Cross, like, in any way, I've always felt like it was more of a service song mm-hmm. where it's kind of like there, because there is songs that I've written that are just very dear, and it's like, oh, don't edit my song, you know what I mean? Where yeah. I, you know, um, but but then there's some which has grown less and less over the years just because I'm all about like community songs, like, I love being able to. What's, I mean, what's the point of writing if you can't cheer it on with a friend? Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, it's sure. just so, Absolutely. That's half the fun of, song, you know, right. if you have a song that's doing well on radio, half the fun is like texting your buddy or, you know, going and hanging out and being like, man, we, we did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of boring if it's just you. And, right. You, know, you could tell my wife, but she likes country anyway. So right. she, you know, <laughs> she's like, I mean, she loves my songs and there's a lot she likes. But, right. You know, if she's going to put on a record, it's not going to be right. It's, you know what I mean. Yeah. She's going to she's going to put on like an Amos Lee record or sure. Thomas Rhett or right. something. Yeah. You know? um, but like, it's just fun to share with your friends. You know, sure. And just and she loves that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Sorry, I'm rabbit trail. No, that's but, fine. But, that's good. I mean, so basically, just openness as a sign. You know, whenever you bring someone else in, yeah, or, you op- know, openness. I just think is the best policy. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I, over the years, when you're writing 150 songs a year, yeah. You know, there's been situations where <clears throat> that hasn't happened to me, and sometimes it it can be a little disappointing. But um, it's hard because everybody's different. You know, some some people don't think that way and and I have to I rem, I have to remind myself that not everyone thinks the way the, mm-hmm. the Nashville thing does but right. I think and and some of them are justified like somebody maybe brought their own course into a song or something yeah I understand that because um, I've been there um, but I think as a rule of thumb <clears throat> it's always best the, the the more open you can be in the room with people the better yeah because you want them to feel a part of it, yeah. You know, and, and it's a respect issue. It's a respect. It's just, issue. it's just, it's respect um, for your peers who are right. doing the same thing you're doing every day. Right. You know, you just be open. Um, I'm just curious. We go down this rabbit trail forever, but uh, we don't. I don't want to, but we can. Um, do you ever oh, maybe what I would call retreads songs you didn't finish, like maybe a chorus or a verse you never finished with? Do you, do you bring those in? Ever bring those into a new write with people? Um. Yeah, as long as I communicate it real well, because, I mean, it's hard to, you don't want to get in a situation where, you know, people are, you know, like, well, what, I wrote on that song too, you know, yeah, and yeah. like, and so I, I, it's it's tricky, like, I don't always, I don't honestly do it very often, um, just because I, I don't want to step on toes too much, Yeah. But, um but, you know, I don't usually have a problem if somebody else brought me a chorus and then, we worked on it and it just wasn't the right thing. Yeah. And they take it somewhere else. Like I try, you know, we're all human. So some parts of me are like, well, why didn't they let us, why didn't they let me work on it with them? But I try to not go there too much in my mind because, you know, if I were in their shoes, I understand, you Mm -hmm. know, like if you have a song that feels really special to you and you want to find a home for it, um, um, 
and it, and it doesn't quite connect when we leave the room. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally get taken somewhere else, and I've been in the same position. Yeah. yeah. But I think that the honesty is the best policy. Like as long as you're like, hey, if we don't get if we don't get something that I love here, can I take this idea elsewhere? Yeah. yeah. You know, I just think that being open about it. it is the best policy. I mean, again, for a guy like me, like I, 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 I can let that go pretty quick just sure. because I'm writing 150 songs a right. year, and there's a lot of times where that's happened to me. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times that yeah. I've brought like what something that's very dear to me to a room and didn't love mm-hmm. like what was contributed, um, and kind of just had to trash it. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. It's just. Yep. But um, that's just the nature of the creative beast. <laughs> you know? so, so it sounds like in both situations, really in, in songwriting, in, it, it kind of comes with the, with the idea of co-writing, just open communication at all times. Yeah, and, Pe- people are more important than songs. Exactly. Wow, that's and, great. And I think new writers forget that sometimes because I remember there's Countless Wonders, a song I had on Chris Tomlin's record, Burning Lights, was yeah. my first experience with this because I had a very, I had a fully completed song. I mean, it had verses yeah. and that chorus was there. It was one of the songs you showed Ed. It was one of the songs I showed yeah. Ed. It, it was very Bebo influenced. Mm-hmm. Like the verses, Bebo Norman is a folk artist, just yeah. FYI. But it, the verses were very dreamy and mm-hmm. kind of like built around nature and yep. it had a full on thing. And I remember Ed was like, we got to wipe these verses out and just write new verses mm-hmm. that Chris, that something that I know, something that would work with in corporate worship. Yep. And um, Chris would resonate with to help us finish it. And um, <clears throat> that was kind of the first time someone had like, you know, to this day, my I, my dad like loved that song the way it was, and to this day, he's like, "They ruined your song." <laughs> and uh, I'm like, "Well, Dad, like, it's the difference between you know having you and Mamelson do it, or having like, yeah, you know, however many listeners, right? I mean, that record, thousands upon thousands. I think that record went that, gold or platinum yeah, or something. Yeah, uh, but you know, it's just <clears throat> that's the nature of being open-handed with creativity." Mm-hmm. And recognizing that you're, this is a service industry as a writer, and peop, by service I mean not only with your songs, but also with people. Yeah. You know, because you, at the end of the day, if an artist or another writer can leave your room going, I I, f- I feel great about this, and I feel great about myself as mm-hmm. a person, as a human being, yeah. and, and as a believer in Jesus, and as a creative. Then I, I feel like I've done my job. Yeah, you know, um, and sure. and hopefully we write something brilliant yeah. in the process. Yeah, you know, um, going back to Love Ran Red real quick. Are, are have you has there ever been a story that's been kind of communicated back to you about the impact of that song? Oh man, I'm sure there's a lot. Yeah, so but many. I, mean, I I remember one a couple of years back. Well, there's been two a couple of years back. Um, I got this text of a video of a youth group. They looked a little bit younger than a youth group, but you know, as you get older, every kid right. looks young. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I don't know how old high school kids look anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, there's this youth group in Kuwait. Oh wow! And uh, where it, it's basically like uh, it was Kuwait or something, but it's like against the law mm-hmm. uh, to worship. And um, there's all there's this group of kids sitting in this hallway, this stairwell hallway, and they're all singing at the cross. Wow! 
and just with no instruments, just them singing. Um, and it, it, it just was like, I mean, it just, it, it, uh, it really got me. Yeah. And, um, even to the point where I was teary eyed and like, man, alive, that just the sheer power of a melody and words and how it can travel the world mm -hmm. is just so, um, and just to think, man, I wrote that in my tiny townhouse, townhouse yeah. apartment. Walk in the halls. Walk in the halls. <laughs> and now these kids are in Kuwait singing it. Yeah. You know, that's so cool. Where, they, where they're not allowed to sing it. Mm -hmm. And how in the world did it get there? Yeah. You know, how, how did it get past the borders of that country? Amazing. Um, and then recently, Chris Tomlin was on a. Um, Chris Tomlin was on a uh, Bible tour in uh, the Holy Land. Yeah. And uh, they were at a, uh, they, where was it? They were at a, 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 a church uh -huh. from uh, off the Sea of Galilee uh, from Jesus' time. Like yeah. he very well, like uh, very like a, well. Like a synagogue type. Yeah. yeah. They believe that he preached there. Wow. Um but it had been not, it hadn't been found in like, I, I can't remember if Aaron Cheese told me it was something like 10,000 I think years. I read about this. Yeah. They just discovered it. Yeah. Yeah. They just discovered it. And anyways, they did a church service there. Wow. Chris did a church service there and he sang at the cross. That's amazing. And um, it, you know, according to Aaron Schuess, it was like, the, it was the first time anyone had led worship there since Jesus was... <laughs> Since Jesus preached in that's amazing in those wow. walls within those walls, and so uh, I got there's a video of it on my Instagram somewhere, but um, yeah, th those that's are the cool. moments where you're like, yeah, wow, like and, and you know, um, it's just it's just wild. Right. I mean, I've 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 had videos of people of Chris singing it at Harvest uh, Church. Or harvest that harvest the crusade, festival, yeah, da crusade yeah. in Dallas, and mm. you know that whole Dallas uh, Cowboy Stadium. I was there. You were there. I was there. Yeah, yeah. And somebody sent me a video of that, and it's just like people can know the words verbatim, thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of people, and mm -hmm. you know, it's just it's a it's a blessing, and it, it's a it's an honor, and it's something that I'll forever store in my mind is like the Lord really. Uh, did something miraculous yeah. with that song. Wow. So that's cool. Nuts and bolts a little bit here on songwriting. Sure. Um, so even with Love Ran Red, um, was there a demo process? Did you did you demo it? Did Ed demo it? How did how did it get pitched out originally? Ed Ed demoed it. Mm -hmm. So Ed had um, he uh, he did a demo of it. That's a very simple demo, which honestly has so much heart because Ed's. <laughs> Ed's, I don't know if you've ever heard Ed sing, but he's got like one of the greatest voices oh, cool. yeah. on the planet. Yeah. And uh, he, um, his demos are very simple, like maybe, maybe six tracks at the most. Yeah. Like there's not much to it. Right. But he's got so much emotion in even his background vocals. Like I actually think one of Ed's most brilliant things is brilliant production yeah. chops. Or, or I would his, agree. His BGVs yep. and like mm -hmm. his harmonies. Mm -hmm. In fact, I could, there was a song on Hello Love where he literally stacked 16 tracks of strings in his arrangements that he came up with in his head and he stacked them all with his voice. Wow. And then just had a guy replace him with real yep. violin. That's and, crazy. You know. And, but anyway, um, Ed made this demo and it's very simple. Yeah. Um, 
But I actually remember I was in Houston visiting my parents the first time I heard it, and I was lost mm. in the. <laughs> I was lost, and it was like eleven at night. Oh gosh! And I saw that email, and I opened it up, and like I pulled over because I didn't know where I was, and you know, big Texas guy, yep. and heard that was listening to that song, and just like, oh man, it was a great worshipful moment for me. But Absolutely, I actually like the demo sometimes more <laughs> than I like the it's produced version. T- tends to be the case sometimes, <laughs> but uh, that's not a knock. No, I get it, for sure. Chris, it's his version is beautiful, but there's just something about when we all just finished the song. The simplicity of it, yeah. Hearing it with music the first time. That's so cool, yeah. Um, So you and I are kind of similar, swim in similar waters. You know, we write, but we also do demos. We do some production stuff. Um, I want to talk about a couple things around that, but um, talk about some... The, we haven't really talked about this on the podcast, so th- and we in our before we hit red here, we were talking about this. Talk about the different roles as a songwriters that, that that there are in songwriting. Now, there's there can be several different strengths, but typically there's anywhere from two to three roles that's out there. And I'd yeah. love for you to kind of break apart what we were talking about a little bit before we started. Yeah, there's um, so a lot of times when when I'm set up on a co-write, there's either uh, the artist, then what we call a track guy, which mm-hmm. is Basically, someone who's handling the demo, yeah, um, just making sure that we have something tangible to listen to, and then uh, a top, what we call a top liner, which is somebody who's really just uh, helping bring a lot of the lyric and really help shape the song from a lyrical standpoint, mm-hmm. and sometimes even melodic standpoint. Yeah, and a lot of times it varies. You know, some artists have different strengths, and and so. And, and, and on any given day, any of those three can bring the idea. Um, but then once, once like the initial birth, the song is starting to, uh, uh, the idea is starting to take form, a lot of these guys in their roles will pull their weight yeah. heavier, yeah. if that makes sense. So, yeah. um, and the ideal situation for me is, is coming into the room, and a lot of times I'm called as a top liner, and so... Um, and it varies. I can kind of play chameleon. Sometimes I can do it. You yep. do well as on the track, which you actually kind of play chameleon. Oh, yeah, that's or kinda, very similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but it, it, it's <clears throat> you know just you learn over the years with because you write with a lot of the same faces mm-hmm. here and there about like what what's going to work best for you guys and um, yeah. But a lot of times I'm called as a top liner, which. Is interesting because I can be in a different studio at a different place every day, every day, yeah. and uh, writing with a different uh, artist or track guy. Yeah. So, um, and again, they all play different roles. And I, I hate. To, I think I'm always the guy who's like I hate putting people in boxes, and as a creative, like it's just one of the things. It kind of drives me nuts because. If I'm playing a track guy, I don't like to be. I don't like to be seen as like. Just you just know your role, right? And don't turn your chair around yeah. and help with the lyric because yeah. I mean that that's not using utilizing me for my gifts, right? Well, um, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Like sometimes track guys have good ideas, but yeah. I think as a rule of thumb, it's like you those people are put in those positions so that when the song is done, there it's best. Uh, presented mm-hmm. if that does that make sense? no it does yeah for sure so from a demo perspective though because um we've even worked on demos songwriting demos together even yeah. recently um so typically you know for those that don't know when we, when we write songs we have to turn things in um to 
to a publisher or the artist um, that we're writing with. So they have a tangible kind of form of how the song ended up. Um, and a lot of times that's done through what's called a work tape. And a lot of times that's just <clears throat> capturing that on our phone um, and you know on our little voice memo. And that can suffice a lot of times. But in today's world of um, demo production, then, um, I mean, of, of production-driven song choices, it's often best for people to put, to put out a demo right. to kind of show this is what the song can feel like. You mentioned a track guy, you know, that can't can handle a lot of that. But how I'm getting it. Let me, let me ask you two questions on that. One, um, the importance of demos versus work tapes, in, in your opinion. What, what tends to win out more in your world? Uh, I mean, the demos, they, um, nine and a half times out of 10 yeah. work better than a work tape. Um, unless the artist is so passionate about the song that they just don't care. Yeah. Like a work tape is fine. Yeah. You know? um, if, if the artist is fighting for the song, it's going to get cut. Yeah. Um, uh, in my experience, it, it usually gets cut. Sure. Um, but yeah, demos are really important for the label to hear. And, and now on what level of a demo? Um, I try to keep my demos under six tracks yeah. because I don't know how... Uh, you know, if if it gets any more than that, you know, I have a hard time mixing it, like making it sound like a master. Yeah. If you're trying to produce and you want to produce the song and that's kind of your end goal, mm-hmm. um, then go all out. Yeah. You know, make it sound like a record right. master. Yeah. Um, if and for those of you who don't know, I guess what that means, like, like. Um, you can still have make your song sound emotional and enough for an A and R person or an artist or someone to hear it and go, oh wow, I get yeah, that. Yeah. Without having to go overboard, and sometimes I think, for, in my case, a lot of times I'm I'm not shooting for production always unless it's unless they just want me, they ask me to do it. Right. And so for me, it's how can I make this song express the emotion with as few tracks as possible. Yeah. And um, well, I remember like. Um, the original I, th- I don't know if I've said this on the show before but like the original demo of Great Are You Lord All Sons yeah. and Daughters that you know David and Leslie and um, Jason Ingram wrote the original demo from Jason is just a pad a piano and a vocal right and that's all it was and yeah. I mean and obviously it was a great enough song to stand on its own that it didn't right. need all the bells and whistles around the demo to, yeah. to sell it if you will yeah sometimes the be- the bells and whistles um, distract. Yeah, I would say if it distracts from the message of the song, I mean the song needs to come first. Yeah, you know, and uh, Jason's great at that. Like he's brilliant at hey, like pad, piano, little sub bass. Mm-hmm. That's really all you need. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's an upbeat song, you might just want to throw a little kick in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been many songs. There was a song recently that I wrote called Scars, mm-hmm. and you know the demo was very simple and uh, Seth Mosley ended up producing it. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's kind of, as a general rule of thumb, um, with A&R people, sometimes you almost want them to know, like, hey, this isn't done. Right. Because um, if they think it's done and it's distracting, it can kill the buzz of the song. Sure. Like, yeah, the, the, 
the song can be completely crushed, even right. if it's a good song. Yeah. And I've I know that from experience. I've had that happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, but over the years, I've kind of learned what does this song need, and how can I do it as simple as possible? Yeah. Um, and also, just time wise, you don't want to spend three days on a demo. No. <clears throat> you know, just to ha- you know, just to have it crushed. Right. You know? Yeah. How love to close it out with this, but how. Sure. On that same idea, though, how how important is it for songwriters to be able to do their own demos? Does every songwriter need to know how to do demos? Is it good to just be good friends with people and write with friends who can do demos? You know, what's what's the role of demos in today's songwriting world look like? I mean, I think demos are really important for your songs, but they're not. But that, don't let that stop you from writing in your house, right? Or like, do you know, coming up with ideas. You know, I, I, some of my favorite songs that I've ever written have been like moments by myself and yeah. things. And, but but I would say like once you get those moments, I think it is important to find a community of creatives that have those abilities mm-hmm. or different abilities because because presenting your song in a way that like brings it to life a little bit more is going to ultimately help it win. And so I, I do think it's extremely important. But I'm. I'm such a believer that the song is first that it's almost like write the best song possible and then figure out how to get the demo. Yeah, you know, but I do. But I would say that the demo, um, if done the right way, is the ticket. Sure, it's really going to help that song like uh, spread its wings. Yeah. Um, if that. No, it does. That's good. That's good. That's good. Well, Matt, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thank you. This, this was, was fun. Uh, I love your story. Um, I love how. You kind of moved to this town and, and somewhat lived out of your trunk for a season. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and then just seeing how God's kind of taking you on a journey to to write songs that literally are being sung all over the world, and Kuwait included. You know, <laughs> what a cool story. Um, so God's using you, man. Um, and I, I'm grateful that we're friends and we get to hang out in the same town. And Me too. And, and likewise, it's, uh, it's been fun watching your journey. Well, thank you, man. So y'all be sure to go check out Matt's uh, little space on the web, mattarmstrongsongs.com. You're on the socials too, right? Yeah. The Instagram and all that stuff. Go. So give him a follow. And uh, man, blessings on you in the next season of all this stuff. So thanks. Talk Me to you too. soon. Okay. Well, that's it. Episode number five of the Song Capture Podcast is in the books. Thanks for joining us today. And special thanks to Matt Armstrong for stopping by to share his story and share kind of his journey as a songwriter here in Nashville and especially writing for the church. Be sure to stop by his website, mattarmstrongsongs.com, and also stop by Song Capture's website, mysongcapture.com, for all your demo production needs. As a worship writer, we'd love to serve you as you serve the kingdom. Until next time, have a fantastic rest of your day, and we'll talk soon.